Hello and welcome to the Digital Flash, where we discuss the big issues and trends within digital marketing. I'm your host, Rob Farrell. Truly creative and unique advertising campaigns can really capture our attentions, but did they really matter in the bottom line in terms of sales, profits and market share? In today's show, I'll be talking with James Herman. He's a New Zealander who spent the majority of his career as a strategic planner in the advertising industry. He was named the world's number one planning director by Big One Report and his work has won 20 Cannes lines and more than 50 effectiveness awards. James is also the author of The Case for Creativity, where he looked at the impact of creativity in marketing. James, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on board. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, Rob. Now, before we talk about creativity, can you tell us a little bit more around your background and your experience? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, uh, I've had a fabulous time in the advertising industry. Um, you know, one of my observations, you know, particularly from the last couple of Can Lions, is is people feeling um, perhaps a little bit, I don't know, skeptical or disillusioned about the state of the industry. And and I'm probably one of the people that um, is is less disillusioned and less kind of cynical about things. You know, I've had a fantastic time in in advertising and, and really kind of loved every minute of it. And, um, you know, not just for the kind of the, the awards and all the rest of it, but, um, but you know, I think you know, we're, so, we're so privileged to be able to go to work every day and, and do what we love and work on creative projects and, and sort of make a, a difference in our own kind of small way. But it's, uh, you know, I think we're a, a lot luckier in our industry than, than most are. So it's been a great ride. Over the years, uh, the types of agencies that I've worked with have tended to serve, you know, large consumer-facing clients. So the telcos and the banks and the big FMCG companies, and um, and so I've kind of been lucky to work on on those kind of big brands that can, I don't know, have the have the ability to do work that really kind of matters and touches a lot of people. Over the years, I mean, my probably the highlights have been working with companies like uh, Vodafone here in New Zealand, and also their competitor Spark, who are the big in, incumbent, pardon me, telco, several of the, the big banks here in New Zealand, um, the big FMCG companies, the beverage companies particularly, done lots of beverage work um, and, and lots of brewery work as well. So I think between, t- you know, telcos and banks and and beverage companies and breweries, you know, you, you have a, a really fantastic canvas on which to uh, do kind of great work and, and do stuff that um, sort of, I don't know, touches a lot of people and, and shifts the dial. In 2011, you wrote the book, The Case for Creativity, but tell me a bit more about why you started to look into this area. You know, when I got into my first head of planning role at a BBDI agency here in New Zealand called Galenzo, you know, I did a lot of thinking early on in that role about, you know, how I should run the department, how I should direct them, you know, what, what we should be chasing. Uh, and if you think, you know, really planning's role in an agency is to do what we can to make the work more effective. You know, we're really in charge of the, the efficacy, the effectiveness, the efficiency of the work that, that the agency creates. And the impact that we can have is to, to make it more effective. And so in kind of thinking about, you know, how to do that as best we could as a planning department, you know, my question was, what do we need to do? What kind of work do we need to be kind of chasing? And, and sort of setting the creative department up for 
to produce the best outcomes. And at the time, this was back in 2007, so at the time in the industry, there, there was a kind of prevailing skepticism about the role of creativity when it came to advertising effectiveness. So, you know, back then we had big clients, as did every agency in the world, who, you know, many of whom were deeply skeptical about whether creativity was something that was in the service of them as clients and brands, or whether creativity was something that we were sort of chasing as a creative company more for our own benefits in terms of winning awards and furthering our careers and what have you. And I, I, I kind of, you know, I was sort of fascinated that the industry sort of argued over that point. And I was equally fascinated with the fact that the those arguments, um, they really centered around passionate rhetoric and anecdotal examples. So you'd have people who were sort of fiercely for creativity, who could passionately articulate why they believed creativity was a powerful force in business. And they would call on anecdotal examples and say, you know, for example, here's a you know great award-winning campaign and it drove great results. Then on the other side, you'd have um, others who would say, you know, well, I can point to anecdotal examples of very uncreative work that drove great results and, and equally to really creative campaigns that didn't do anything for our business. So, so these kinds of, uh, you know, this discussion or this debate in the industry didn't really happen around hard data and research and evidence. It happened around sort of passionate rhetoric and anecdotal examples. And so sort of as a um, strategic person, I kind of thought, well, surely we can go out there and, and look at all the data and look at all the research and, and kind of try and bring this, this kind of debate to a conclusion. Uh, does creativity contribute to effectiveness or, or doesn't it? Um, so I kind of made that my mission when I got into the role. Um, and I started to do some research of my own, collecting up data on, on the most creative agencies and their performance and effectiveness award shows. Uh, on the most creative companies, the companies that have won uh, Advertiser of the Year or now what's called Creative Marketer of the Year at, at Cannes and how they those companies performed. Uh, and I also went out and looked for all the people around the world who had studied creativity and effectiveness and found that there were actually dozens of people all around the world spanning a kind of two decade period who had done these studies where they they had looked at large groups of less creative advertising, contrasted them against large groups of very creative or creatively awarded advertising and measured the relative effectiveness of those two groups. And um, and so I kind of, you know, I, I sort of set about, even before the book was sort of a, a notion in my mind, I sort of set about trying to collect up that research to inform, you know, myself and the agency that I worked for, um, you know, really try and get a grip on whether or not we should be chasing highly creative work or whether in fact as a kind of planning team we should be chasing other things and leave the sort of creativity to the, the creative people. And what ended up happening was that when I collected up all of that evidence and it ended up, ended up being 15 studies from, as I say, all over the world, from universities, from research companies, from clients, from all sorts. What what I found was, you know, really definitive answer because in all of those studies, you know, they all concluded without sort of a shadow of a doubt that a more creative approach is much more likely to be a more effective approach. So kind of armed with that um, data. And by the way, I sort of went into that exercise really open-minded. I, I was completely prepared to find that that actually it was the other way around and, and creativity didn't have the, the effect on effectiveness that we, you know, some people thought it might. Um, but when I, I kind of, when I pulled it all together and discovered what I discovered, not only did it set my mind at ease in terms of, you know, our agency chasing highly creative work being the right thing to do, but, you know, it also occurred to me that it would be useful to share that evidence with the, the rest of the world. 
not just to help the agencies do better work, but to help the client community understand the role of effectiveness and help those people who were more, you know, not even necessarily more skeptical, but, but people who actually, they, they weren't going to base a decision on rhetoric and anecdotal examples. They, they wanted to see hard evidence. And I think that it's actually a very fair question from the client community to say, well, you know, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to push creativity, then can you please show us that that's the right thing to do? I think it's a really fair question for the, the client community to ask of us. And, and I thought it was one that we, um, you know, had a responsibility to answer. And so, so the idea for the book really was to kind of, you know, share, share all of that research with the world, um, educate people, uh, and, and ultimately inspire the, the whole marketing community towards better work and better results, um, which, uh, which, hopefully, you know, in my own small way, um, the book's managed to do. Before we go on, maybe you can set the scene by telling us exactly what creativity is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a really good question because, you know, like a lot of um, sort of words we bandy around in the advertising industry, like creativity and insight and innovation and these sorts of things, you know, uh, they can be ambiguous um, and, and what's creative to one person um, may not be, you know, creative to another. Uh, so what I did as, as part of um, working on the book, you know, that was one of um, one of the, the, the key questions that uh, that I thought thought we sort of needed to resolve was what, what do we mean by creativity? What do we mean when we say a campaign is really creative? And so the best way of, of doing that that I could sort of think of was to talk to uh, really experienced creative people um, who had judged lots of creative awards and could articulate what they were looking for in terms of, you know, award-winning work. You know, how did they define creativity? And basically it comes down to, to three things. Um, a campaign is, is highly creative when, firstly, it's original. Originality is probably the, the sort of fundamental tenet, really, of creativity. If it's something that hasn't been done before, then it's creative. And, and, and one great quote that I found in writing the book was someone who said that, um, Creativity is um, is something that isn't anything else, and um, and you know it's uh, that's really true. You know we're creative when we when we create something that didn't exist before. So creative award judges tend to look at ideas and first and foremost say, is this something that's truly new or is it something that's actually been done before? Uh, and and they tend to decide that the original work, the new stuff, is is more creative. So originality is sort of a big part of it. Um, then the second factor is um, is engagement. So is this something that compels me kind of emotionally or irrationally toward it? Is it something that I want to engage with, that I want to um, kind of come back to, uh, that I want to see again? Um, is it something that's, you know, not just original, but original and something that, you know, as a human, I really want to, uh, I really want to engage with. And then the third aspect is craft. So creative award judges sort of say, okay, is it, is it original? Is it really engaging? And has it been, brilliantly executed so that comes down to the quality of the production when it comes to a piece of film you know did the director do a great job is it really well produced um, or you know in the case of print work you know is the photography brilliant is the typography brilliant in the case of big integrated campaigns you know have they really crafted this uh, this idea and brought it into the world in a way that really brilliantly serves the idea and makes it even more kind of engaging and enjoyable to kind of be a part of or watch or look at or whatever it might be. So those are sort of the three, the three things that define creativity really. Is, is this idea original? Is it really sort of engaging at a human level? And has it been 
brilliantly executed uh, in a way that really serves the idea and amplifies it. James, do you think that creativity can make advertising more effective? Yeah, well, it certainly does. So, I mean, the primary um, case to call on, so there's an excellent researcher um, who lives in London called Peter Field, and he did a, a fantastic and now very famous piece of work back in around 2010, I think it was, which he published with the IPA called The Link Between Creativity and Effectiveness. And he he took the uh, the IPA data bank of, um, of about a thousand different campaigns from Britain, but from uh, also many international campaigns and segmented that database into uh, campaigns which had won awards and campaigns which hadn't, and then looked at the relative effectiveness metrics around those two groups. And when he sort of talks effectiveness, he means hard business metrics. So was market share improved? Uh, was profitability improved? Uh, were sales, did sales go up? You know, not the soft metrics of, you know, did the brand measures sort of move around, but the really hard commercial metrics. And, uh, and what he found was that creatively awarded campaigns on those hard metrics sort of massively outperformed the less creative work. So he found that creatively awarded work uh, was 11 times as efficient at generating an effectiveness result. Um, so if you think about that, I mean, that's a sort of staggering kind of margin between the more creative and less creative work. It really means that, you know, if you, if you do something that's highly creative, it'll be 11 times as effective at the same level of budget or conversely you know you need to spend 11 times less on a on an idea for it to achieve the same thing so what he managed to you know really demonstrate and the study's been repeated by the way a couple of times now and it holds it still holds true um that if we're going for bang for buck you know if we're really looking at return on investment for our marketing efforts we're so much you know, so, so much better to pursue a really creative um, kind of ambition than to go out and try to do something that's more functional or more rational or, or more uncreative. If we really want to get bang for buck, if we really want to get the maximum return on the dollars we're investing in marketing, then we should be pursuing a, a much more creative approach. So that's probably the, you know, the best and most robust study that's been done around his work there, there's just been so, so many other researchers that have in different ways asked that same question and found that, you know, yes, creativity makes advertising more likely to stand out. Yes, it makes it more likely to be remembered. Yes, it makes it more likely to persuade. And because of all of that leads ultimately to a, a better commercial outcome. When it comes to advertising agencies, can creativity help them to become more effective as well? The first study that I did myself was um, at a time when, thanks to the internet and people publishing uh, good data sets on the internet, what I could do was look at the gun report, which measures agency creativity in terms of the amount of awards that agencies have won, uh, and, and also look at the effectiveness data in big markets like the UK and the US and sort of tally up how many effectiveness awards those agencies have won. And, uh, and again, kind of look at if, uh, whether the agencies that have won the most creative awards were also winning the most effectiveness awards or whether in fact that wasn't true. So, um, so I did that study and I looked at, uh, I looked over a, about a five year period at this. So, so not just at one year, but really looking at, uh, at this over a, a long period of time and found that the more creative agencies, they tended to win on average about two and a half times as many effectiveness awards as the less creative agencies. So again, you see this really strong correlation between 
between creativity and effectiveness. And I think that often, the, again, the skepticism sort of came from walking into agency receptions and seeing, you know, all of all of these awards uh, littered around the, the reception area of the agency and, and a lot of clients sort of wondering, well, is this really in, in my service or is this just a, you know, a, a self-serving thing that the, the industry does? In fact, what we managed to prove with those, those data sets and again sort of um, repeated that study for the 2016 book over another kind of five-year period, what it really clearly showed is that if you, if you walk into an agency and you see lots and lots of creative awards, it's actually a pretty good sign that they're also capable of producing very effective work. So you know the numbers were were identical both times we did that study the differential between the most creative and the less creative agencies was was identical it was two and a half times and so creative award wins are actually a good, quite a good predictor it turns out of an agency's ability to create very effective work that goes on to win effectiveness awards are more creative companies more successful companies when it comes to creativity so I remember being, um, you know, it was Jonathan Mildenhall, who's now the CMO of Airbnb, but he used to run creative effectiveness for Coca-Cola globally. And before that was a planner in the ad industry and, uh, you know, really, really smart guy and wonderful sort of um, advocate of great work. And he uh, and he had said to my creative director at Colenso, um, Nick Worthington, he had said to Nick that he... Um, he was sure, sort of anecdotally, he, he'd sort of looked back and he, he, he said, I'm sure that each time, you know, this Creative Marketer of the Year is, is awarded at Cannes to a company that's produced the most creative work over the last couple of years, each time that company seems to be really massively outperforming the stock market. And so Nick sort of told me this and I and I actually, you know, this is one of the points where I thought that just can't be, that just can't be right. I mean, I can't buy the idea that a few Cannes line winning print ads can affect stock market price. You know that just doesn't add up. Um, and so anyway, I sort of I, I thought, well, I'll go and I'll go and check it out, and I'll do the research, and I'll find out whether Jonathan, you know, is is right. Um, and so I went and I looked right back to 1999. So I looked at every company that had won uh, Advertiser of the Year and can between 1999 and 2009 when I was working on the study, and looked at their stock market performance. And compared them against both the uh, the S and P 500 as a as a good sort of market average for the stock market, um, and also against their um, their general performance over previous years, and and in every case, you know, it was quite spooky actually when I when I kind of did this did the research and found the data. In every case, these companies were outperforming the stock market and were outperforming themselves in, in prior years, um, and so. I thought that's really weird because I still don't feel like a few canned gold lines could have anything to do with the company's stock market price. So I sort of challenged myself to dig deeper into the issue. And, and so I went and spoke to people that had either led or worked in those companies during those periods and, um, and got them on the phone and did interviews and, and dug into, you know, what was going on in the company at that time? How was it that, you know, what, what did they think this link was between being really creative in advertising and performing well on the stock market. And what I found was generally in all of those companies at, at that point in time, they were going through a period of enhanced creativity and innovation and thinking differently right across the organization. So when it came to how they were developing new products, how they were sort of trying to uh, direct their culture, um, you know, everything they did as companies, they were trying to be more creative as organizations. 
a sort of happy side effect of that was in that culture of striving for greater creativity in everything they did. Their marketers also in that environment looked to the agency and to provide better work and bought more creative work. So, so the creative advertising was actually symptomatic of, um, of, of the company's kind of broader creative agenda, which went across everything that they did. So what that sort of ended up showing was that when, when companies sort of pursue a more creative culture and a, a culture of creativity right across the organization, they're much more likely to, to see those sorts of results that lead them into greater stock market performance. So that was really the kind of the, the insight that came out of that. Uh, when we drive a really pervasive creative culture right across our business, we're more likely to affect those top line business metrics. Is creativity isolated to the really big brands with their large budgets or can smaller players and companies get in on the action too? Yeah, for smaller businesses, I mean, when you're a business that has even less to spend and, and is probably even more wary of the need to, to get a return from every dollar that you do spend, again, it becomes even more important to look at that ROI. And I think, again, going back to Peter Field's research, that sort of massively different ROI from the, between sort of doing something that's sort of, you know, fairly conservative and uncreative versus doing something that's wildly creative. If you're a small business, then the need's even greater to kind of go and do that. I think you, you don't have the clout of those big marketing budgets to just go out and plaster the world with your message. So you've got to do something that, that really genuinely kind of stands out and is cuts through and gets remembered and, and gets your brand on the public radar. And I think it's kind of never been a more conducive environment for smaller businesses to do that. You know, now that we live in, in this age of social media and if you do something brilliant, you, you do stand a chance of actually getting really well known without any kind of big television spend or any of that. So I think both for, for smaller businesses, you've got both the necessity of getting more bang for buck, which creativity gives you, but also the opportunity through new channels, through kind of better use of PR and social to really cut through and stand out and do something brilliant, even though you're, you're actually really little and perhaps unheard of and, um, and perhaps of not much marketing money. So it's even more pronounced in the, you know, the, the smaller companies that we work for. Creativity's played such a such an important role in terms of them, you know, going from a standing start to, to becoming really effective and successful brands. So how should we actually measure creativity? Is it all about the awards or is there other factors to consider? Yeah, it's kind of a succession really. So it's interesting because you know, I've had a lot to do with effectiveness awards, um, both locally and, and globally, over the years. And there's a, there's a real sort of chain, what I call sort of an effectiveness chain. Sort of that there's a there's a sequence of events that creativity sort of sets off and drives, right from the basics like doing something which stands out and cuts through and gets attention to you know things that then get. PR pickup and PR reach. So, you know, you'd start by measuring, you know, do people, despite everything that's going on in their lives and everything that's going on in the world, do they see this and do they notice this? So that's an important thing. Increasingly, it's critical if the media picks up on it. So, you know, we've got to measure that. Are we doing something that the media is going to be at all interested in? Um, or are we doing something that actually they're going to completely ignore? So we need to be measuring that. Um, we need to be measuring once the, you know, once it's cut through or once it's got media attention, 
is it persuading? So is it sort of representing the brand or the product in a way that compels people to kind of think, I might buy that? And and so those interim measures of, of sort of cut through and memorability and persuasiveness are, are really important stepping stones on the way to achieving those results, which are the, the sales results, the market share results, the profitability results. So I think for a marketer, it's important to, you know, have a really broad view of of all of those stages that a sort of campaign needs to go through to get from, you know, an idea right up to an increase in market share or an increase in, in sales or what have you. Um, there's there's a real sort of chain of events, if you like, that needs to happen for that all to kind of link up. So the best kind of integrated work that you see, you know, it, it does all of those things really brilliantly. Is fame or being famous important from a brand and organization perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's never been more important. So, you know, again, the sort of the research proves this out. If you have a campaign that drives fame, you know, and by that I sort of mean a campaign that travels beyond its kind of media limits. So do you have a campaign that people, you know, without you having to incentivize them, want to share with others? Do you have a campaign that the media, um, without having to form media partnerships and incentivize the media that, that the media wants to write about and want to sort of express. The role of that earned media is critically important. And again, we live in a, a sort of a world where, you know, there's, there's never been so much opportunity to do things that the media pick up on and amplify for you, that social media picks up on and amplifies for you. It has a couple, you know, a couple of effects. Fame campaigns do a couple of things. One, they sort of tend to be much more efficient. So you know, compared compared with your the amount you spend on media, if you've got something that really travels, that's really, you know, it creates fame and that other people pass it on for you, you've obviously got a greater return on investment for uh, for that sort of work. But the other sort of the other side to it is believability and persuasiveness. You know, for example, any of us, if our friend says something's great, you know, we're much more likely to believe it is than if a company puts an ad on TV and says our product's great. As consumers, we've just you know. We're smart enough to kind of look at an, an advertising message and know that it's partisan. You know, it's uh, it's something which you know. Of course, the, that company is going to say their product's brilliant. Of course, they're going to tout the sort of the brilliance of what they're doing. Uh, if it comes from someone else, if it comes from a friend, if it comes from someone that we know, or if it, even if it comes from someone that we have no idea who they are, but they're just on the internet and they seem a bit like us, we're much much more likely to kind of believe that. So, fame campaigns have a, you know, they drive a. Um, uh, a kind of persuasiveness that uh, that traditional advertising has has long been unable to achieve. I think today I wouldn't do anything without the absolute express intention of it becoming shared and talked about by the media. I think that's now a table stake in marketing that you know we've got to look for the ideas that that have the ability to do that and if you're you know looking at work that you know you just know that no one's going to kind of share or no media person's going to talk about then you've got to ask the question you know are you spending your money in the in the right way because you're pursuing an extremely expensive path by producing work that you know that no one's going to pass on great james Perhaps you can give us some examples of creative organizations or campaigns that really just got it right. I think I might sort of talk about some stuff that's not really in the book. There's a lot in the book around those sort of, you know, those massive campaigns that have gone on to win Grand Effies and Cannes Grand Prix and, and all that all that, all that kind of jazz. And I think about things like the Volvo Live Test campaign, which was just a wonderful example of 
sort of a big integrated idea that was you know so creative and just so mega effective or the campaign from the states from um the feminine hygiene brand always the like a girl campaign you know which really kind of you know that absolutely hit the fame button big time and and was just an extraordinarily successful campaign so there are those examples that we can sort of point to as um as campaigns that both achieved you know the the highest of heights in terms of creative awards and effectiveness awards and each year um i do a study with the gun report where i look at the campaigns that have won both a gold lion and a gold effy somewhere in the world and uh, it's very 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 difficult to do that um you know only a handful of campaigns each year um uh, managed to hit that higher note um now many hundreds of campaigns win both creative awards and effectiveness awards but to win a gold lion and a gold effy is very very difficult indeed and so so there are sort of there's there's a real kind of we're building up with the gun report a real kind of body of these campaigns that hit those high notes um but i'll tell you a different story because i think it's kind of you know it's interesting going back to your question before about how um smaller brands you know can benefit from creativity about 2010 i was approached by a couple of entrepreneurs here in new zealand who were creating a new premium rum brand they kind of loved they were rum lovers they loved drinking rum but they you know they saw the rum category as as quite sort of tired and old and not very cool and uh and they wanted to do something that was you know really modernized rum and and present it in a more premium and and really quite disruptive way and we went through a process with them myself uh, an amazing designer here in New Zealand called Calvin so and those two founders creating a brand that um ended up being named Stolen Stolen Rum and we named that brand around the insight that rum uh if you look at the history of rum you know hundreds of years of history rum has always been on the wrong side of the law whether it's kind of the pirates or the prohibition or slave trade or um or sort of dodgy stuff in the navy <laughs> you know it's always been rum's always been sort of on the wrong side of the rules right and so calvin kind of called the called the brand stolen which was a really disruptive and creative thing to call the brand from the outset and we had a great first few years here in in New Zealand building up the brand building up sales and getting into a good market position here in New Zealand we got approached by a guy who ran a major distribution company in the US a company called Southern Wines and they're the, the kind of the big biggest booze distributor in the US he'd seen our brand and he sort of said I love this brand the stolen thing it's so it's so kind of fresh in the um in the rum category at the time we had a white rum and a gold rum those were our products and um and he said you know I love your brand I love your products but in the states white and gold rum of sales are flat what's in growth is spiced rum now if you can give me a really you know a, a spiced rum product that will really stand out in a big cluttered market in the states if you can do that for me then I'll help you launch into the states and just to give you an idea of kind of scale the spiced rum segment in in the USA is 50 times as big as the entire rum market in New Zealand. So, you know, we're talking about a huge opportunity for a little, you know, really little brand in New Zealand to um to take on the US. So we kind of got to work on that and thought we, you know, we need to something create something that's really stands out because there's no, you know, we can't afford advertising in the states. We've got to create a product that, you know, on its own sitting on the shelf really kind of engages people. And so we went through creative process and the the product that we ended up with was called coffee and cigarettes. It's a, a rum that's the world's first smoked rum um and it's flavored with coffee. 
and so it tastes like coffee and cigarettes. Um, and that sounds gross, but it's, I promise you it's delicious. And so you've got this kind of smoky, coffee-ish um, spiced rum that's an absolute kind of amazing thing. And so we took that to Rudy, um, who's the guy from Southern Wines in the States, and, and, and he just loved that concept. And, and so we ended up launching in the States, and it went so well that within about two years, the majority stake had been bought in the company by a massive private equity firm in Chicago for a really, really significant amount of money. And, um, and that brand's now got the chance of really cracking the, the US market and becoming a, a sort of major player in the global spirits category. And I think that's kind of, for me, is one of those, you know, one of those times when you, you know, you think for a little brand, um, a little company that's trying to make it in the world, you know, you've really got to do something that you're really sure is gonna massively stand out and cut through. And you've got to make those decisions that sometimes, you know, not everyone's going to look at a rum that's called coffee and cigarettes and feel good about that, right? I mean, that's going to, you know, that's going to really challenge a lot of people, but equally, it's going to turn a whole lot of people on. And we have, from kids in Florida through to Snoop Dogg, you know, people who just fell in love with that product and who kind of really just, that just spoke to them, you know, and that was, that's probably, you know, one of my favorite examples of, a small brand doing something that's really, you know, highly creative and deriving an enormous, you know, it's stratospheric business benefit from making a kind of a really bold and creative choice. Um, you know, we would never have any chance of busting the US market if we went out and did something that was, you know, conservative or followed the rules of the category or, you know, just looked like every other room. I mean, if you're dealing with, you know, and we, in our company, we deal with um, startups and smaller companies quite a bit. And, and you know, for, for a lot of them, the, you know, the ultimate goal actually is to be picked up by another company, you know, to be bought, to, to, um, to be, uh, or at least sort of heavily invested in. And, and to do, I mean, that's very, very hard. You know, we think of driving market share in big categories as being, you know, as being difficult. Being, you know, launching a startup and getting to a point where, uh, another company sees value and paying over the odds for you. That's very, very, very hard. That's a lot harder than driving a couple of share, share of market, you know, a couple of points of market share in a FMCG or a professional services or services category. So it's, uh, you know, it's really challenging. So, so it's in those sorts of um, those sorts of situations where creativity really can come into its own and really make a that literally the difference between that company kind of fading away and dying or being being propelled into the you know up to the next level so for the audience at home do you have any tips that you can give them to become just that bit more creative yeah i'd say a couple of things so um firstly you know the advice that i would give to to the marketing community would be to you know really set a creative agenda and by that i mean sit with your agency look at the best work in the world you know sit down and really look at the stuff that you know the the stuff that has won gold lions and gold effies and really outperformed everything else soak in that you know really understand that really kind of really look at all those case studies together talk about those case studies really understand how they do what they do and really orient your 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 thinking and your kind of you know your bar your benchmark around that work and then make a pact you know together um to say we want you know together as an agency and client relationship we want to do work that is highly creative and highly effective and we don't want to we don't want one or the other we want both of those things and let's make an agreement together that we're going to set an ambition that's really high 
and we're going to chase that together. You know, the power of actually stating it, sort of saying, look, let's, let's, in the next year, let's really truly aim together to do work that's going to win at Cannes and going to win at the FEs. Let's figure out together how we're going to get there. And let's put all the other kind of the rules and the stuff that we've, you know, the conventions and all of that stuff. Let's put that aside just for a minute. And let's, let's talk about how we're going to, you know, truly together create work that's a, among the best work in the world. So I'd say that's the first thing, set a creative agenda um, and do that with your agency and really kind of aim high. There's, you know, nothing bad will come of that. I can absolutely assure you, you'll only get to a better place. The second thing that I'd say is, you know, we're, uh, as humans, we tend to spot what's wrong with things, particularly new ideas, new things. Um, and highly creative ideas are always very unfamiliar to us. They're very new. And it kind of goes back to when we were cavemen and we we're confronted with something new and our defense mechanism was to kind of really be wary of it because, you know, back in the caveman days, you know, something new was likely to be poisonous or to, you know, kill us or, or whatever, right? So we reacted very kind of, you know, we tended to react really negatively to new, you know, new things and new ideas and so forth. And that carries through to how we evaluate work. So when we're sitting, we're sitting down together and someone's presenting an idea that's really off the wall, you know, that's really original, that's, uh, that's really creative. Our tendency, our human tendency is to kind of look for what's wrong with it. And, and that sort of comes to the fore of our minds. It's, it's natural, it happens to everyone. You know, you kind of go, oh, I feel uncomfortable about this. And here are the things that I worry about this idea. What's really, really useful and the best, you know, creative people and the best um, kind of champions of creativity and enablers of creativity are the people who can cut through that and really look at what's good and what's right about a new idea. And it's a really great, habit to cultivate to be able to look for the good in an idea first so when we're sitting and we're talking to a creative person they present something that's kind of you know completely not what we expected um, to really have the discipline to in our minds think okay what's right about this idea what's good about this idea what's the what's the the really good bit that we can pull out and expand on and 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 grow because we too often sort of default to determining what's kind of wrong with something or what's dangerous or what's risky about something. The best creative people, the best enablers of creativity are those people who have cultivated an ability to be able to spot what's right about an idea, what's good about a very creative, very new idea, and pull that out and build on that and expand on that and, and sort of keep that going. So I think that's a really, you know, that's such an important habit to cultivate if you are, you know, truly seeking to, to create great work, to buy great work, you know, whether we're an account person or a planning person or a client, you know, to be able to look at work when we're presented with it and, and understand not what the challenges are, but what's really right about that idea. That's a really productive um, and, and constructive way of evaluating ideas when we're confronted with them. So if I can just summarize, creative campaigns are not only unique and engaging, but according to the research, we can see that they have that commercial benefit in terms of sales and market share. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like I said at the start, you know, I went into this with a very open mind. So so I, I was completely prepared to find that more creative work was in fact less effective. And to, you know, to, I probably wouldn't have written a book about that truth, you know, but I would at least have sort of directed my planning department away from sort of trying to, you know, um, set the creatives up for award-winning work. The thing that you know, still to this day sort of amazes me is that when you look at all of the research, and I've looked at all of it, you know, there is a mountain, an absolute mountain of evidence that says, if we want to be effective, if we want to do work that delivers a great return on investment, we are so, so more, much more likely to achieve that outcome if we pursue a highly creative agenda than we are if we pursue a less creative agenda. And there's really not a shred of evidence anywhere which, which, um, which contradicts that. And I think at some point as a community, you know, we've got to go, okay, well, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a message, <laughs> there's a message in there. Um, so I really feel, you know, absolutely confident in myself that the debate really has been settled. And I hope that others feel that way too and learn from that, but also, you know, really use that insight to go and create better businesses and, and more successful advertising and put stuff into the world that ultimately people enjoy more, but which also drives much better business at the same time. Thank you, James. It was great to have you on board today. You're welcome. Lovely to talk to you too, Rob. To find out more about James and his work, you can check out thecaseforcreativity.com. To find out more about digital marketing, visit our blog at digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and let us know what you think of the podcast by engaging with us on Twitter at DMI Group. Until next time, I've been your host, Rob Farrell, and this has been The Digital Flash.